I'd like to acknowledge the traditional caretakers and inhabitants of this land across Australia. Also locally where I stand, the Beerpai people, who continue their cultural practices, wisdom and law. Hi and welcome to the Pollination Mamas podcast, where we have collaborative conversations, cross-pollinate and connect, as we span our wings across topics such as feminine wisdom, womb wisdom, herbal plant medicine, natural fertility awareness, postpartum care, sacred sisterhood, sacred motherhood, women's circles and deep connectedness. If you're here, I believe you too are on a journey to reclaim and revitalise ancient feminine wisdom in a modern context. Not only for ourselves now, but for future generations to come. Thank you so much for being here. Hi Chaitanya. Thanks so much for coming in and being a part of one of the first Pollination Mamas podcasts. It's really exciting for me. So Chaitanya is from the Womb Temple Yoga. And when I was looking at people to interview, I've got a really long list of people, local, overseas, um, Australian, and I just kept coming back to Chaitanya because she's doing some really amazing holistic work that's in line with what I want the Pollination Mamas podcast to be about. So specialising in helping women move towards pelvic reproductive hormonal well-being through healing, yoga and self-care. How beautiful is that? <laughs> um, so Chaitanya, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to this work, uh, the skills you've acquired along the way and how you're sharing this with people in the world. Thanks, Shelley. I'd love to. Um, it's been a long journey for me, as I'm sure it is for everyone. Um, my journey with all of this healing and yoga work started over a decade ago when I was called to go and live in India. And um, I went and lived with a very wonderful and um, a very beautiful master uh, yogi. And he helped me initiate into the practices of yoga and using sound for healing and for my own personal evolution. Mm. Um, so I came back to Australia and uh, met my partner then and I kept up my practice. I kept up my yoga practice, which wasn't a physical yoga practice at that time. It was um, more the sort of higher practices of yoga. Um, and then uh, so I started to teach a little bit of sound yoga and came to teach in this really magical little healing centre in, um, in Melbourne. And the guy who ran the healing centre, which smelled amazing, like I went out the back, it smelled absolutely amazing, all these magical herbs and lotions and things. Um, he was a, a yogi and a naturopath. And he practiced traditional South Indian massage and healing. He was also an Ayurvedic um, practitioner. And uh, so that was all very interesting to me, all these yummy herbs and things. And he asked if, um, if I would like to apprentice with him. And uh, so I took a treatment and I just got an overwhelming yes. It was the most incredible oily hot oil and hot herbs and um, just amazing massage, which I later found out was thousands of years old. So it's been kept in its entirety um, for a long time from these uh, martial arts lineage in South India. Wow. So I started, I know, I just immersed in this. It fit perfectly with the sound work that I was doing and 
we worked together treating his patients and working with points, working with hot medicinal oils and herbal hot packs. And um, I just felt like I'd found the work that I just wanted to do forever. So that was really, really exciting for me. Sounds good. Um, it's so delicious. Uh, so that's called Kalari um, is, is the name of the treatment. Okay, yep. Yeah. And then, so I moved from there. We had to leave our home in Melbourne and, um, and we moved up to the north coast uh, where the land is a bit more friendlier and the environment is a bit warmer because my partner had a lot of health troubles. And um, we got up here and I practiced a lot of that massage. I live in a town that's full of Indians. And so I was right at home with all my Indian tendencies <laughs> and my need different spices and oils and things. And, um, and I was treating a lot of the Indians up here and a lot of the, the Western folk too, and just having a wonderful time. So I did that for a solid five years. And um, one day I was heading off to Thailand to learn a bit more about um, energetic flows in the body. Um, so I was really fascinated about how to help people heal better. And I was going to study Thai traditional yoga because um, they know how to move in therapeutic ways to clear the different channels and help you bring healing energy back to your body where, where it might have been stuck. And uh, on the way to the airport, I bought a book and I've got the book here. Oh, wonderful. It's amazing. Uh, oh, you're only- yeah. So, Uma more truly. Um, it's a big fat book that you didn't really buy to take overseas with you. <laughs> increase your luggage for about a kilogram or more. Put that um, in the hand luggage. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to let it go ever um, out of my hands. So I cried when I got it. I cried at the bookshop and I cried on the way to the airport with this book because as soon as I opened it, I just realised this is the work that I want to do. I want to take my yoga and my healing to the next level and help women reconnect with their bodies and practice that honors themselves in a way that heals themselves as well as uh, lets them find their deeper sense of self. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it sounds like you had all of these, you're acquiring these experiences and skills along the way and then all of a sudden you just had all the pieces that had that led to that aha moment. How beautiful. It's such an amazing feeling when you have that. Oh, it's such a profound feeling, yeah. So feeling very grateful for that moment and for Uma's work. Uma Dinsmore truly put together this remarkable book. It's um, it's it's a life's work, you know, and it it's called Yoni Shakti. And what does it say? A woman's guide to power and freedom through yoga and tantra. So it's really everything about um, the yoga as it pertains to women, because traditionally. We've all been practicing like, like men because that's where the tradition came from. Yeah. So, plus we've found a lot of um, grace and healing and evolution through practicing that way, but it doesn't yeah. necessarily honor our bodies. That's right. Yeah, it's not right for everyone at all stages. So you've mentioned um, yoga practice for women and how traditionally we've been learning practices most of the time, most people that are more masculine based. And there seems to be this massive movement sort of worldwide and definitely in Australia at the moment with people 
en masse kind of going, oh, okay, there's a different style of yoga that is more feminine in its approach and it's more aligned with what we need at different stages of our cycle and even different stages of our life as women. So um, this has been, uh, you hear people talking about womb wisdom and I think that's a part, a small part of what womb wisdom is and living in tune with natural cycles. Can you tell us a little bit more about your perspective and your experience of how we can integrate uh, more feminine practices into our life and how that impacts on our health? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's, as you said, uh, practising some sort of movement practice or some sort of spiritual practice like for women, um, it's a part of womb wisdom, but really it leads us there. It's a path to womb wisdom, I find. Oh, beautiful. So, it's um, as the whole world has been operating um, in this really fast and linear way, um, we've had to be operating so much from our minds and um, maybe recently a lot of us have come down into our hearts, but still there's the womb centre that a lot of people are cut off from. Um, so... Uh, yeah, using practices that align with where you're at right now and in combination with just connecting with your womb starts to drop you down into the deeper parts of your body and the deeper aspects of our feminine nature, like our intuition, um, our connection to nature, um, just knowing how we actually feel in the moment, if we can be connected from that, what our body's needs are. Um, so aligning our life and aligning our practices, if we do like to have a yoga practice of, or a movement practice of some sort, aligning that to where we are in our cycle or the stage of life that we're going through um, or how we're feeling in our emotional world. It's just mm. really critical um, in honouring ourselves as the woman. Yeah. Or as a person, it yes. applies to me too. Um, yes. We're all sick creatures. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's been coming up more and more when I'm talking to people. I mean, I guess women have this inbuilt. I mean, everyone does, but on, and men maybe on a more subtle level, but women have a womb and if we are um, fertile and we are having our periods, then we have this inbuilt calendar and this cyclical experience that's very physical, um, it's very hormonal and it's very emotional and we ride those waves quite overtly, I guess, um, through our, our bleeding years. And But men would be experiencing that also because we're all affected by the moon as well. I was actually listening to a lady scientist yesterday who works around oxytocin and you were making me think as you're talking about as we come down from our heart centre and then down into those lower areas and people talk about gut feeling a lot and this woman, Kirsten, I'm not very good with last names today, Kirsten, I'll, I'll write this down as resources at the end. She wrote The Oxytocin Factor and she started her studies looking at how um, gut health affects our whole being, as is also a popular topic these days and more is coming up. And then her, her studies led on to oxytocin and how that impacts our overall health as women and um, all of the receptors within our womb and the vagus nerve through the body and how the interactions with oxytocin there. 
And it makes me think when talk about people talk about uh, gut instinct or feeling something in your stomach, that for women, we also feel that in our womb. But there has been this cultural shift to disconnect from that lower area that, oh, periods are something we don't talk about or they're even, for some people, they're dirty. Um, we don't talk about any trauma that happens there, whether it's birth or sexual. So all of a sudden there is this huge disconnect there and I think when people start tuning back in, all of that arises and then a lot of healing can be done. And I understand you work with people around trauma healing also on lots of different levels. Is that right? Uh, I'm just starting to work with women around birth trauma, actually. It's um, working with women in the postpartum has been a little um, passion for me. That um, And I found that... Um, well, the body holds a lot of trauma during birth. I mean, that's uh, it's no secret, really. I think a lot of women know that. <laughs> we know that it's not being talked about how to heal it. <laughs> well, it is now. But. Yeah, there's a lot of trauma being carried around in our bodies. Um, and from other things too, you know, it's like the womb is like a little hidey hole that we can shove a whole lot of stuff in and um, we're not looking there. So it's sort of like packing stuff behind your cupboards or something so absolutely yeah so like you said when you start to connect there maybe a few things come up and um that's great i think better out than in you know of course if you need some help and some support you've got to find the right circle of support to help you but um even something as simple as putting your awareness there and giving your love there or you know extending the olive branch down there um, to your body is a really powerful act, you know, and you can do that even just by when you wake up, placing your hands on your womb and breathing down there and smiling down there and just checking in and um, being yourself. Yeah, just bringing right awareness is like bringing a whole lot of light to see what what is there. Sometimes people don't even know what what they have hidden there. I love that analogy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, if you, if you're experiencing problems after birth with um with your your pelvis and you've got um you've got pain maybe you've got pain during sex or you've got um urinary incontinence or feelings of the womb dropping down or you know tightness in different places that can all be signs that the body's just holding on to some trauma from birth and the body can just get shocked you know like in the process birth and all the stuff that goes down in in that incredible process of birth whether it's a natural birth or whether it's twisted or whether it was troubles whether it was fast whether it was slow it's the body can freak out and freeze and yeah. hold, on that, uh, hold on to that freeze and yeah. just that love and having having some loving touch in a space where you feel safe to uh, to really to that can really help open it and really help the body to let go of the trauma. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it really is like that and it's sort of somatic philosophy that trauma can be locked in the body in a physical way. But it's also um, an energetic thing, isn't it? So when you start bringing awareness to the pelvis and to the womb, you're actually, by certain practices, whether that's just putting your hands there and bringing warmth or herbal compresses, massage, yoga, you're physically bringing circulation back to an area and with that shock, it feels like 
when that freeze happens, it's an emotional thing, but it's also a physical thing. So circulation can get cut off and that can lead on to all sorts of physical issues. But then on an emotional level, when you bring the warmth and the love and the circulation there, it allows those emotions to move through and then come back into real time instead of being stuck in that moment of shock and trauma. It's almost like getting your womb to catch up to where you are and then consciously taking, moving forward with, <laughs> with your womb. And then that's where the womb wisdom can emerge, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better than that. That's perfect. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about the services you offer? So if someone came to you and they were experiencing um, maybe some birth trauma or some other trauma and they felt like they had something, some other physical issues or emotional issues locked in the womb pelvic area, well, I like to um, do it obviously on an individual basis yeah. um, and learning about her life. You know, if it was birth trauma, it's an into the birth period and you're getting in and you need to feel this feeling. I can feel her body also just energetically and, uh, and tune into my intuition as to what's needed. But I would definitely be putting my hands on this beautiful woman with her permission um, onto her sacrum and her belly and tuning in there and having a chat about how, how incredible and perhaps shocking that birth might have been or that part of the birth might have been and how, how that was in the past and, and that we have come forward from there and, like you said, helping her body to realize that it's safe to catch up again mm. and that it's safe to of some of that physical and emotional energetic trauma so that would be one of the tools that i would start with Fantastic. and uh, linking that mental or psychological understanding with the physical so just by placing your hands there and talking about it you're connecting them back together and just by providing that safe space where a woman can let go and can have a good cry, you know. Yeah. Is that um, something different to, um, I mean, I would always be also encouraging women to go and see a pelvic physiotherapist, yes. you know. And I, I, I think that's absolutely necessary in all cases of any pelvic pain and disorder, you know, have a proper diagnosis. Um, but uh as incredible as those women um, out there doing the physiotherapist work, um, they might not all be able to hold that space for someone to really go there and really be vulnerable and emotional and um, have a release on that level that helps the whole body and the whole woman to release some of that trauma. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think, in like I said, I'm postpartum doula and when I'm listening to people or talking to people about this postpartum traditional care practice revitalization, often there's talk of what the ideal postpartum care package would look like. And this is coming from, we're talking about the mainstream system, something the mainstream system would offer women. And your yeah, pelvic physiotherapists are definitely up there. But that emotional aspect needs to be equally important. So it's really good to get pelvis checked, especially to prevent prolapses and things like that which are so common these days um but then yeah that emotional aspect and I really love that you're providing a space for the emotion and that physical at the same time because 
people often talk about going to a counsellor or going to a physiotherapist separately and that can be really powerful but to be able to to link those two aspects together I think that's where the some really amazing healing can happen so you really, uh, oh sorry I, I really <laughs> stepping towards merging those things you know I'm really excited about that and this year I'm training with some really amazing physiotherapists from America oh, around holistic pelvic work and uh, pre and postnatal uh, help the women after the birth and before the birth so oh, wonderful merging all of that stuff together in the future yeah. right who are you training with who's that through I'm training with Tammy Lynn Kent oh great yeah, so that's extremely exciting. Um, if anybody hasn't heard of Tammy, um, her beautiful book, The Wild Feminine or Mothering from Your Centre is another incredible book. Um, she's uh, a really well-known pelvic physiotherapist. And the other beautiful woman um, is uh, called Lynn Schulte-Leach and yes. she runs the Institute for Birth Healing. And she had a summit late last year, birth summit. It's amazing. You can learn a lot, um, whether you're just a mum, not just, but whether you're yeah. a mum or whether you're a therapist, yeah. um, you can learn a lot from, from these women. They're, they um, really care on many levels, yeah. It's interesting you were saying, Shelley, about the um, prevalence of prolapse. Um, I find that, uh, I mean, the prevalence of everything to do with uh, women's bodies and reproductive systems going haywire is just out of control. Really? But, uh, and that needs to be acknowledged in itself. It's, um, we've shifted into this hyperdrive as a, as a society and mm. um, they just can't keep up, mm. especially not honouring them with proper postpartum care and, um, and rest, just rest. Just you know, rest. Through, <laughs> which is like number one what I... Um, help women with is, is how to how to give themselves permission to rest but that's especially important with prolapse you know it's yes. like off your feet and um and rest put your womb up in the air like yes you know put put some cushions under your bottom and lie on the floor with your womb elevated there's so many yoga, yoga um, practices that can help with prolapse oh. and um yeah but rest is just if something's going on with your womb Get a yoga nidra recording and rest. Rest, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I've studied with Kelly Garza from the Steamy Cheek in America doing the vaginal steam facilitation. And, and so one aspect that comes up in the diagnosis of different women, depending on what they're presenting with, is uterine fatigue. And it is that exactly that. The main thing is to rest then. And if you don't rest, the consequences are quite severe over a long period of time. But if you rest yeah. within the short term, then you can have some really amazing healing. But it's so much easier said than done and there's still so much cultural shift, shifting that needs to happen for women to feel like they can give themselves permission to rest. I feel like there's so much education and cultural shifting that needs to happen um, before women will give themselves that permission. And do you think that's part of coming back to that feminine practice and the feminine wisdom? So at different stages of our cycle, we're higher in estrogen or progesterone and many other hormones. And that has a major impact, not only on our emotional being, but on our ligaments and our muscles. So practicing different asanas at different times um, and, and rest is a huge aspect. I guess there's some stages where 
the asanas would be completely restorative and not much movement at all. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much right. Um, rest, rest just keeps coming up. It's, it's the main medicine for all problems to do with the womb. And it's also the main way to get back in connection with your womb. You've got to stop mm. and drop down the womb to connect with it. You can't connect with it while you're running around at the supermarket, you know? Yes, because <laughs> you need to use your brain to do that. Absolutely. You can do that after years of connecting. Then you can be an embodied yes. presence that, that is in your womb and you can be operating from that wherever you are and that will give you that foundational strength and that foundational um, presence that deep mm. presence there's no way around the rest thing if, if um if women aren't prepared to rest then there's um yeah things aren't looking good you know <laughs> no and this is nothing new like cultures all around the world have known this for so long the postpartum rest period of roughly 40 days in most cultures and and, and resting during menstruation, going somewhere and really like removing yourself from more of your, your everyday duties and resting. Have you learnt much? So you've looked a lot into the Indian philosophy of medicine and healing. And you said you live um, in a, a large Indian community. And have you learnt much from your local community members about their postpartum care practices and their culture? Yeah, I have actually. It's um, it's a really heartwarming thing. Uh, yeah, I live I live in a little town of about um, I think it's six thousand people, and about half of them are Indian people. Oh wow! Yeah, it's a big big percentage. Mm. Um, and a lot of the the women um, when they're pregnant, their mother or their mother in law will come over from India and uh, look after them for about three months or so, usually the three-month visa. Um, and so when the woman gives birth, then she's able to rest. She's able to just feed her baby and take it really easy. And the grandma will take up the house duties and she'll be cooking. And um, she cooks special food for the daughter every day. Um, all the meals are prepared fresh. Um, and they cook a really delicious and really simple kitchery. Kitchery, which um, yes. if you know what is, it's an amazing healing food from India. Where I you have vegetarian the, chicken soup. <laughs> it's like the equivalent of that. I had a uh, vegetarian woman who had a baby recently and I cooked her kitchari. Yeah, so I explained it as vegetarian chicken soup. It's, it's yeah. lovely, so simple and nurturing. It doesn't take any energy to digest it because yeah. uh, when the body... When the body is given birth, um, the mama and the baby, the energies are wide open and the digestive power just isn't there anymore. And so um, this food is very, very easy for the body to digest. And, um, and in adding some pepper and some up, um, these Indian grandmas help to restore the digestive power of the new mama. So the new mama is just eating kitchery. Um, she's drinking fennel tea. It's all very simple. It's just a few fennel seeds in some hot water. It's, you know, nothing fancy from the supermarket or anything. Yeah, beautiful. And, um, so when I asked the Indian grandmother, um, you know, what was your postpartum like when, when you gave birth to Mandeep, you know, she, through, through my friend translating, she said it was exactly the same. This is exactly what my mother cooked for me and her mother cooked for her. So You've got these unbroken traditions in these um, 
in these cultures that haven't had their culture broken, um, like like us people have. Mm. Um, and they remember, yeah. I've also got a close friend who had two home births in India. She's younger than me, and she had one birth here in the hospital in Australia. Um, and in India, she had the local doula, uh, the local midwife, they call it Dai. Um, the Dai came and gave helped her give birth to the babies and then she came twice a day, two times a day, wow. every day, a few days to have massage and yes. to be bound herbs and looked after. And, um, and then the mama can just rest and just make that connection with the baby and um, the body is able to come back from that expanded state, the... Uh, the womb uh, returns healthily to her, her normal position and the digestive fire comes back. And then and it's like um, if you can do any sort of postpartum care involving rest and really, really easy to digest foods, yes. perhaps a little bit of massage, yes. um, it's making a huge investment in the rest of your life. It's I like absolutely. having $3 in the bank, yeah? Yes. <laughs> because if you don't, um, it, the check comes in at menopause. Yes. Well, they say, and I'm pretty sure it was originally an Indian saying, 42 days for 42 years. And there's a similar yeah. one in Chinese postpartum culture. So, and, and I think that's what we're seeing now with people having, or women having a lot of issues at menopause and the prolapse coming on later. And it really is that investment. We're just, we keep take, take, taking from, from the nurture bank, from the nourish bank. <laughs> And it doesn't, it's such a short amount of time, really, that postpartum window. And it doesn't mean that at the end of your 40 days or your six weeks, then you're, you're back up and scrubbing windows. It's still a gradual, <laughs> gradual process. But yeah, if you, I agree. If you can, it's so simple, just simple, easy to digest, warming food, some nice nourishing teas to support mum and to support breastfeeding and rest. And myself. Oh, that's so wonderful. I love those stories, the traditional stories. And you're right, we have had our culture broken, but it was there and not that long ago. I'm actually on the hunt for some old English midwives to, um, or British midwives. And in some other European countries, so the Scandinavian countries and even in Germany, there's still some remnants of some uh, much better postpartum care practices. But in um, Britain and here in the colonies like Australia, when if you've had you have a British heritage, it can be hard to really connect back to that. And I'm so happy there's revitalization happening now. So there are little remnants there that we can weave back in and we can be inspired from other cultures like Indian cultures and then also draw on, on what's left um, within European culture as well, if that's your ancestral lineage. And it's so wonderful now that even in small towns, like I live in a very small town, not quite as small as yours, but still quite small. And it's so much more multicultural these days. So my mother-in-law's Filipina. She cooked me a traditional Filipina postpartum dish. Um, yeah, the, there's so many people around that we can talk to and, and get insights and tips from these days, which is lovely. So I think I'd like to go back a little bit more um, to explore that wonderful book. And on your website also, you talk about the ancient Indian philosophy of Yoni Shakti and womb source and the ancient guidelines for menstruating women. If you could share a little bit about that, I find that really interesting. Yeah, uh, sure. Um, so 
people may be familiar with these um, these old taboos that we hear about, like um, you know the 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 man kicks the woman out of the bed because she's dirty and she's got her period, or the women aren't allowed in the temple. There's a huge uh, political thing going on in South India at the moment about um, a temple that wasn't allowing menstruating women inside, and so there's the, all these old taboos about how dirty or polluted these menstruating women are and how they need to go in these little huts and be away from the men. And yeah, but um, actually, uh, I found out um, in my obsessions with um, the womb and the Indian culture is that um, all of these taboos had really grounded um, origins in honouring the womb and the woman and the whole community. So um, the, the woman was never considered um, bad or polluted mm. or poisonous, you know, to the man. Mm. It was just the, um, the fact that the womb becomes extremely sensitive um, when menstruation is happening, yeah. Mm. So um, just like in birth, how, how your energies are spread by to allow the new soul to come through and the new baby to come through. In menstruation, it's like a little birth and the body opens wide so that we can let go of the menstrual blood. Um, and at that time, all of our blood becomes a little bit etheric and a little bit fragile. And um, you might have felt when, um, when you've got your period and maybe someone comes and imposes on your personal space and they're, rah, 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 you know, telling you what to do, you're thinking, oh, God, you know, help. I don't want to be around this person. And you feel very, like, you need protecting and you need your own space and you need just a little bit of you time. Um, so this is energetically what's happening too. So the body does need a little bit of protecting at that time. And so culturally um, in India, there was all of, all of these guidelines about um, how women could protect the sanctity of their womb and the um, <clears throat> energetic uh, health of the womb. Because if you protect the energetic health of something, then you protect the physical health of something um, in the long term. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it's known um, also in the Chinese culture as well. Like I'm familiar with a little bit of Chinese medicine um, practices. And um, so, for instance, when, uh, when you're bleeding and the womb is very open and fragile, you don't want to get cold at that time. So you don't want to go swimming. Um, you don't want to uh, walk on the cold floors with bare feet, you know. Um, same, same in the postpartum, it all applies there too. Yeah, um, it's like a mini postpartum. It is, isn't it? You can, um, you can absorb that cold straight into the womb and then it's very hard to eject that mm -hmm. cold and that can fester away there and then create a lot of disease later on in life if you're doing that over and over again, you know. Um, same goes for... Uh, so oh, let, me, let me put it this way. When, when we're bleeding, the body is activating a very strong downward energy. Yeah. So um, in order to let the body do what it needs to do to evacuate all of the blood and all of the old feelings for the month, um, we don't want to do anything that's too stimulating and that rises you upwards. Yeah. So um, one thing that's too stimulating is just doing a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's really stimulating um 
another thing that's stimulating these days is looking at your iPhone a lot and going crazy on the internet and um, being very out there and in the outside world because in the menstrual world we're, we're tended to pull inside mm. and blood flow down, let the energies flow down. It's almost like um, a so- mini birth also, a mini birth where it, on a very micro level, like to birth you need to feel very safe and mm. same to menstruate fully, to fully clear out you need to slow down and feel safe. So in that sense, it's much like a mini birth. It is like a mini birth, yeah. So, um, so the, other, the other old Indian um, taboos or guidelines was that um, the woman shouldn't have sex when she was menstruating. And that one comes from the, um, the upright and upward thrust of energy of the man and the penis, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, are trying to go down and they're very open to being influenced at that time mm. and then sex then all the energies just shoot up yeah absolutely so, especially if there's an orgasm involved because the orgasm yeah. energy is designed to bring the male energy and the sperm up into the womb rather mm. than let the blood flow out yeah so so not saying that you should never have sex you know in your, <laughs> on your period but um, I'm just saying this is the origin of these, these what, we, what we see as taboos now and the guidelines then. Um, so another one of those ones is the one about women shouldn't go to the temple when they're bleeding. Mm-hmm. And that, that goes the same guidelines because a temple is like a sanctified place where people come all the time and, and chant prayers or, or pray to God, yeah? And that energy of the prayers has a very upward and expansive energy it's kind of like reaching up to the gods even though you know the gods aren't really up there in the sky mm. but it has upward lift to it they call it upasana in india so it's it's an upward flowing energy and i can feel it, um, myself in the temples where i live is uh if i go there when i'm menstruating i can feel my energy start to rise up yeah mm-hmm. no i don't want that i want my energy to be able to get blood out so um so i don't go to the temple when i'm bleeding yeah. you know and yeah very so there's all of these old taboos um and yeah they were all based around looking after women's reproductive health yeah i think yeah. when we start to break them down and look at them there are so many practical reasons behind that and it makes a lot of sense. And like you said, we're not telling people not to have sex when they're menstruating, but just to consider energetically and physically the impacts of all of those little actions. I think with the different waves of feminism, it feels like one of the waves was that we are equal to men, therefore we can do everything that men are doing or everything in the more masculine uh, paradigm so we can work, 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 we can be uh, physically exerting ourselves on the same consistency. And there seems to be the next wave of feminism, which I'm really excited about, is actually going, oh, we're still equal to men, but we're coming back to the fact that to honour our differences and to honour the way that we are in the world, it doesn't need to look exactly like the way men or the masculine approaches in the world. We can because obviously there are, you know, gender spectrum as well, just to talk about that, that you might not physically have a womb, may have had a hysterectomy or you weren't born with one, but you still identify more with the feminine energies and likewise you may have been born with a womb that identify more with the masculine or somewhere in between. But, um, yeah, there, for people that do identify more with that feminine wisdom to go, oh, I can be in the world in a more feminine way and still be equal, 
Yeah, it's, it's fascinating and just such beautiful stuff. And I, I think if if we keep on heading in this direction of honouring that, we will really see a decrease in a lot of the physical reproductive issues. And we are already seeing that. You hear stories from women all the time that were having a lot of reproductive issues and they went on a healing journey and looked across a number of modalities and had wonderful results to their reproductive health and emotional health. I feel like the body wants to come back to centre, you know? It wants mm -hmm. to heal and it, um, it responds very readily to that loving attention and um, those changes in lifestyle, changes in diet. And just um, you bring a little bit of routine in there. If you eat some blood building foods, you know, if you can actually digest your blood building foods, you know. And um, yeah, if you can take that time to drop into your foundations of your womb or your foundational center of your body, whether your womb is there or not, mm. um, that is just going to, your body is going to respond so beautifully to that and mm. things will just unfold and come back to, come back to center a little bit more. It just makes so much sense. With um, your exploration in the Indian traditions, have you come across any vaginal steaming or anything similar like that using smoking? Yeah, um, uh, I believe that it was traditionally used in India. I've come across um, smoking um, mm. with different herbs, yeah. And um, there's also uh, douching with different um, herbal tinks, uh, herbal mixtures and um, oils. Uh, so the the tissues, the tissues of the skin and the tissues of um, of the body are just incredibly sensitive to herbs. Hey, like if you make a pot of herbal tea and rub it on your skin, you'll know that you've done it. Yeah. <laughs> so if you put that on the the centres of the body that relate to the reproductive system, which are around the entrance of the yoni um, or inside the yoni, then um, yeah, the yoni will respond to that medicine, and it's a very powerful way of introducing medicines to the body. And and because of that, it should be respected and um, yeah, used with caution, I believe. So. Uh, yeah. Intuition. yeah yeah I think that does need to be a little bit of caution because like you said everyone's so individual so someone could be coming with long cycles or short cycles or trying to get pregnant or not trying to conceive and so there's so many different aspects to consider but yeah the the tissue is so sensitive around the yoni and the vulva that it just absorbs herbal medicine so readily whereas when you're drinking it, it's still really powerful especially for the upper respiratory and the digestive system. But to get anywhere lower, it needs to bypass the digestive system, which is essentially a filter. So sometimes by the time it gets down to the reproductive system, you have absorbed the herbs in other parts of your body or filtered them through. Whereas if you are applying them to the, to the pelvis and the yoni vulva area, then you get an immediate absorption. I've had amazing yeah. results with steaming. Um, even just recently in my last cycle, I, I didn't want to steam because it's been so hot, so the thought of sitting over steam. And I really noticed the difference with my last cycle um, and some stagnation there. And so I steamed again and within half an hour, not I don't we don't steam during menstruation, this was after. And within half an hour of steaming, um, I had a release of stagnation because I hadn't steamed from the month before. So, yeah, it's powerful stuff. It really is. Yeah. 
I really believe in the power of the steaming. I, I recently found a beautiful old steaming chair um, oh. just around the home, so I've dragged that home. But um, personally, uh, I I react badly to steaming. Okay, so, yes, some people do. Oh, yeah. So I've you... tried times. Okay, and um, I um, a lot of heat rises up to my head. I'll get mm. headache really tragic for the next couple of weeks um yeah it really doesn't agree with me um as as i am right now yeah, you know, yeah with the heat tricky internal heat issue which mm. um coming up it's not obvious but mm. if i try to and it is obvious yes um, um my uni actually um really likes to be smudged and have the have the um smoke on it smoke. so it's all different you know yeah. that's why i just Put your toe in, dip your toe in, and see. Give it a go, see if it works. I find the steaming is really good for the cleansing action, and it can for some people they don't have that heat issue. It can help to stop shorter cycles. But if someone has heat and a tendency to shorter cycles, it can not be right for that time. And other other methods are better. But I was watching a little YouTube about um, a Sudanese practice um, of smoking, also. So I'm going to look into that more, and I. I know that the Indigenous Australians use smoking in that way for women's health also with acacia and other species. And, um, yeah, I'd love to track down a woman that knows a little bit more about that. Yeah, I know who you could talk to. I'll put you okay. onto her. Great. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. So I think um, we might finish up. We could talk for days, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so many interesting insights. But um, I just I think I'd like to finish off with... Um, well, first of all, I was going to ask you about if you had um, just a couple of elements that you would recommend for mainstream postpartum care practice, but you've already done that. You said um, easy to digest warming food, um, rest. Uh, yeah, rest. I'd say get yoga nidra, like look up free yoga nidra on the internet and um, download yourself a yoga nidra because that's a way of maximising rest in a minimal time. Yes. And massage, so for the circulation and warmth promoting. So you already yeah, covered I, that, which is fantastic. I'd love, I'd just love to say, Shelley, massage with warm oil. Yes, warming oil. So black sesame is a warming oil. Uh, anything that's not coconut, I would say. Yeah. Not that there's nothing wrong with coconut. It's, it's just cooling. a cool yes. Yeah, so you want to warm up the body. Yeah, and you don't have to be a pro. You no. just put that oil all over the mama's legs and arms and... Uh, that's great. Absolutely. And um, so I guess I'd just like to finish on talking to you about the types of workshops that you run, if you have any planned um, formally or informally this year, but also the workshops that you ran a little bit last year to get an idea of, of how you're sharing this love, beautiful, amazing wisdom with people in the world in that way. Sure. Well, last year I ran a lot of workshops um, up and down the coast here, which were really wonderful. Um, that were based around yoga and the menstrual cycle, yoga and menopause, uh, yoga, um, yeah, yoga to respect the womb and deepen into the womb. There's lots of uh, juicy practices. It's a much more feminine way of practicing yoga, but with traditional um, practices in there also. Um, the women just respond so beautifully to it. It's a very nurturing, um, nourishing space, uh, lots of sharing and lots of laughing. And um, 
yeah, lots of connection and lots of education. So that's the way that I like to teach and share and lots of deep, deep resting. There was, um, I love to share a deep rest yoga nidra in all of my classes and really allow women to drop down off their adrenals and come right down to the source of themselves where they can find that deep healing and that um, really deep rest. Mm. Um, so that's always a feature of everywhere that I go. Um, I have a beautiful big Indian instrument that I play and I sing and, and chant and yeah, it's very relaxing for people. So that was what I did a lot of last year, which was very um, great work. I feel very honored to share this work. And um, at the moment, I'm just taking a little break and I'm saving up a lot of money to pay these beautiful physiotherapists for next year, for this year, for my oh, training. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I'm really enjoying having a break from, um, from that work while I prepare for the next stage of my work. And I'm just working one-on-one -on -one with women at the moment. So uh, women come to me when they have problems with their cycles or they want to connect deeper or, um, yeah, anything to do with that, getting, getting better after birth or uh, anything to do with women's yoga or adrenal health, you know, how to, how to come back from fatigue, which I've personally had a journey with um, previously in my life. So... Uh, yeah, I'm happy to take on um, a little bit of that work if anybody wants to work with me one-on-one -on -one at the Fantastic. moment. Fantastic. And you can do that online also, can't you? You will do yeah, online absolutely. sessions as well as face-to-face -face locally. Yeah. And um, then I look forward to coming back to the workshops and things later on in the year. Yeah. Oh, I look forward to hearing about that. So people can find uh, Chaitanya on the website which is wombtempleyoga.com and instagram at the same name at wombtempleyoga and facebook at the same name and i'll put some links up as well with this podcast thanks so much for joining in with me this morning um, thanks, i look forward to meeting you again and possibly attending some of your workshops it sounds fantastic and um, yeah, we might get you back in to talk again once you've studied with those other amazing women, Lynn and Tammy Lynn Kent, and, and um, yeah, share a little bit about what you've learnt and your new direction or added on direction. Love to. Thanks, Shelley. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And if there was something here for you today, please head on over to pollinationmamas.com, sign up for latest podcast releases, go to iTunes, leave a review. And pop over and say hello at Pollination Mamas on Instagram and Facebook. Importantly, if you think you know someone who may gain something from this, please share around.